You are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. So if you've got a a phone with a Bible app on it, you open up that app and you can go to Ruth chapter 2. Or maybe if you've got a Bible in your hand, you can go to Ruth chapter 2 as well. And uh, Ruth is in the beginning, uh, early, early part of the Old Testament. And uh, so you can find that right after Joshua judges Ruth. And I'll meet you there in uh, chapter 2 here in a moment. You know, when you think about living the plan B life, uh, what is so hard about that? You know, what's the most difficult part for you in living plan B? You know, for some of you, it's the loss of control, right? Plan A's out the window, and you lost all control. Things did not work out for you the way you thought they would. The job didn't work out for you the way they thought it would. Maybe the, the doctor's appointment didn't. The marriage didn't. Just plan A's gone. You're in plan B, and, and you've lost that sense of control of the plan, and that's tough. And for some of you, there's a level of uncertainty when you enter into a plan B life. You know, how's this going to work out? What's going to happen with this? Maybe for some, there's a question of God's provision. You know, is God going to provide for me now? Am I going to be able to see my way through this? What's going to happen now that plan A is gone? You know, when you think about those things, I think we would all struggle with that. You know, a loss of control. A question of provision, kind of wondering if, if this plan's going to work out now because our first plan didn't. But if we're real honest with ourselves, the we- reason we struggle with the plan B life, the reason we struggle when plan A goes to plan B, is because we make an idol out of our plan A lives. We make an idol out of that. We make an idol out of our plans. We make an idol out of our provisions. We make an ad- idol out of our comforts. And so when something happens within that plan we've made and that idol we've built up and we're worshiping and we want it all to be about our comfort and and what we want, when something goes wrong, it really throws us for a loop. Last week we started this series called Living the Plan Be Life and we're moving through the book of Ruth and we're looking through this through the lens of Ruth and we saw uh, there's two ladies that we introduced you to, Naomi and Ruth. Naomi was uh, married to Elimelech. Elimelech had two sons, Malon and Chilon. If you were here last week, I told you what their names meant. You remember? Sickly and spent, right? That's what their names meant. I've heard some weird nicknames before, but man, those go up there, right? My, my dad has a cousin, and her nickname, her nickname is Hambone, okay? So from North Carolina. That's the way we do it in eastern North Carolina sometimes, okay? So we would call her Hambone, all right? But here you go. Elimelech, married to Naomi. Naomi's got two boys, sickly and spent, right? There's a famine that hits Bethlehem, and it's a bad famine. And so they say, all right, we got to get out of here. We got to find food. We got to go somewhere. So they moved to Moab. Remember, Moab is a non-Jewish territory. This is pagan land. These are people who don't worship the God of the Bible. They worship pagan gods. But now they're there in Moab. All right, so sickly and spent married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. They're now married, no kids, been married for about 10 years. At the end of chapter 1, something happens. All three men are dead. 
So now you have three widows, Naomi, Ruth, Orpah. It's a famine, bad for widows. There's no real jobs. There's no real places to live. Naomi's long, far away from all her relatives. No government programs here. There's no social security plan. There's no disability plan. No government's going to bail them out of this. So Naomi says, all right, I've heard that the famine in Bethlehem's lifted. I'm going home. I've got to go find a relative that can take care of me. So Orpah and Ruth start going with her, and then Naomi says, no, 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 you don't need to go. I got nothing else to offer you. My situation's worse than your situation. Orpah says, okay, turns back to Moab, which signals, hey, I'm going back to my gods. I'm going back to what I know. Ruth, though, has a conversion. Ruth says, you know what? I'm going with you, Naomi. And I I love this part in, in chapter 1, verse 16, one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible. She says, look, your God is going to be my God. Your people, my people. That God you told me about, Naomi, I'm going with you. So at the end of chapter 1, they're back in Bethlehem. Things don't look great for them because, again, this is a really hopeless situation they're in. And sometimes when you get into plan B, you feel hopeless. Some of you this morning may feel that way. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how God's going to provide. I don't know what's going to go on. This all feels out of control. But here are three truths I want you to learn this morning in living the plan B life. Okay, here's three truths. The first truth you're going to learn from chapter 2 in living the plan B life is this. There are no accidents when it comes to God. There are no accidents when it comes to God. When you pick up in chapter 1, I'm actually going to start you back in chapter, uh, verse 22 in chapter 1. Notice it says, So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. Watch this part. At the beginning of the barley harvest. Famine is lifted, and they didn't come back at the end of the harvest, not in the middle of the harvest, but at the beginning of the harvest. So we see there's a little glimmer of hope there. When you drop into chapter 2, we see what happens. Verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to glean among the ears of the grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went and gleaned in the field of the reapers, uh, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. In verse 1, the the author very quickly introduces us to this guy by the name of Boaz, who we're going to hear more and more about this morning. But you almost just kind of get a quick glimmer of hope there. Ruth says, hey, look, Naomi, we got to eat. Let me go out in the field. Let me glean from the grain. And we need to understand something, why that's historically important, but also understand why it's important for us today is because God in the Old Testament, in the law, made a way for the people of God to provide for four different groups. All right? Those groups were orphans, widows, immigrants, and I just went blank on the fourth one, so let me find it, and the poor. There we go. So for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, God says, I'm going to set up a system that you as my people are going to provide for them. All right, so let me read you a couple of verses here. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. It says, when you reapers of the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. 
Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I'm the Lord your God. Now listen to Deuteronomy 10, 17 and 19. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who's not partial, takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving them food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, you sojourners in the land of Egypt. All right, so he's saying, hey, people of God, you take care of these groups. Now, you might be thinking, all right, that's Old Testament, right? That's the law. That's in Deuteronomy. That's in Leviticus. When I go through my Bible reading plan, I just skip right through those. Okay, some of you don't, and that's cool too, all right? But some of you are real honest on your Bible reading plan when you get there. You're like, oh, Leviticus, how I love you. And then we get numbers, right? (laughs) Yay for numbers. All right. So you might be thinking, hey, it's Old Testament. I don't need to do that anymore. No, 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 no. Let's jump to the New Testament real quick, and let me read you this verse. James 1, 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Right, so, so what would happen is the harvesters, uh, the, the farmers, they wouldn't reap everything. They would intentionally leave part of their fields unharvested for the poor and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants to come in and get what they needed. But what have we done as Christians in our current society? Jess said that was the plan for the people of God then. Guess what? That still ought to be our plan now. Right? As the people of God, we should take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans and the immigrants. We shouldn't do what a lot of other Christians have done and just push that onto our government and said, okay, government, you set up a program. You do that, government. We're going to be over here. No, God's plan has always been for God's people to take care of those that need help and to be taken care of. And so Ruth is now out in the fields. She's gleaning. And I love this part of verse 3. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. You know, there was a, there was a farmer once, and uh, he was applying for life insurance. He was sitting down with the life insurance agency, and, you know, some of you guys have done that. You've you got to fill out the health questionnaire, and, you know, he's asking all the typical questions. He looks at the farmer, he's like, hey, have you ever been in any accidents? The farmer sits back for a minute, he says, no, I've never been in any accidents. And, and the, you know, the insurance agent, he takes his glasses off, lays them on the table, lays the pin down, looks just dead at the farmer now, and he goes, whoa, whoa, you're telling me you've never been in any accidents. Farmer sits back in his chair, folds his arms, and he looks dead at the guy's eyes. He's like, yeah, I'm telling you that. He said, but, you know, recently a, a rattlesnake did bite me and a horse kicked me in the ribs. And the insurance agent's super confused now. Looks back at him, he's like, and you don't consider those accidents? And the farmer looks back at him just dead straight and goes, no, they meant to do that. In the plan B life, there are no accidents when it comes to God. Ruth is where God wanted Ruth 
to be at that moment in Boaz's field. And here's the second part of the plan B life you need to learn. Not only are there no accidents when it comes to God, but God will always provide. God has a way for providing for his people. In the plan B life, God will provide for you. And so here's Ruth gleaning in Boaz's field. And now Boaz shows up to work. And he's starting to talk to his workers. He's looking out at who's out of the field that day and goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's that lady? And you begin to see this love story starting right there. Ruth catches his eye. And they're like, well, hey, that's Ruth. She came back with Naomi. That's the daughter-in-law. And Boaz is like, oh, yeah, that's, that's who I've been reading about on Facebook. I, I got it now. The picture, we haven't been Facebook friends yet. I got her. She's come up on my, you know, suggested friend list. Boaz says, all right, you know what? Let me go talk to her. Let me meet her. And pick up on that conversation in verse 8 there in chapter 2. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that are reaping and go after them. Have I, charged, uh, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn? See, I want you to notice first the way God is providing for Ruth. And he's doing it through Boaz. First, Boaz is protecting Ruth. Right? There's the protection of Boaz to Ruth. Boaz is saying, look, I've told all the other guys, don't mess with you. All right? Don't, don't razz you, don't harass you, don't physically assault you. Hands off Ruth. Don't mess with Ruth. But he also says this in verse 9. He says, when you're thirsty, go drink. Go drink from the water that the men have drawn. And I know we probably think, what's the big deal about that? We all drink out of the same water fountain, right? We all walk up to the same water cooler and, you know, get a cup out. What's it's a big deal about that. Understand culturally, this is a huge deal. Because it would be the sojourners, it would be the immigrants who would draw water for the Hebrew people. It would be the women who would draw water for the men. And so now Boaz is telling Ruth, look, you go drink the water that was drawn for the men. Boaz is protecting her. I love what uh, one scholar says. Is he says that uh, in this, that Boaz instituted the first anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace recorded in the Bible. Right? Saying, Ruth, I'm protecting you. But notice also, he's saying, Ruth, I'm going to provide for you. I'm providing for you. It was later in the day and there's meal time coming. It's time for dinner and pick up in verse 14. And we're going to pull up to the dinner table with Boaz and Ruth and the group. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of my bread and dip your morsel in wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also, now watch this in verse 16. Also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. See, Boaz is telling her, Ruth, go on out, do it. 
looks over his workers, and he's like, give her a little more. Give her more. See, Boaz went above the letter of the law. He went above what the law required of him. And he says, look, Ruth, I'm going to take care of you. And what Ruth was able to bundle up on day one and take home to Naomi was enough for them to eat for a week, right? I mean, Naomi walks, Ruth walks in with all this, and you think Naomi's like, where'd you go? Who'd you rob? Right? How's this possible? This is enough food for a week. If that pattern continued, in about three weeks' time, she would have been able to glean almost a year's worth of food for her and Naomi. What's happening? God is providing in the plan B life for Ruth. But let me ask you this. Who's God using? You can answer it. Boaz, right? God is using Boaz to provide for Ruth. Did it drop out of the sky for her? No. She pull up the H-E-B and they just load it in the back of her car? Nope. She go home and it's just right there on the dirt floor in the middle of the hut? Nope. What happened? God said, Boaz, I know this is your plan B. Your plan A wasn't to, you know, find a a lady you were going to marry one day when you showed up to work that day. See, his plan B was when he walked into work and goes, who's that? (laughs) Wow. His plan B was, I'm going to take care of her. And understand that when you give, God uses you to provide for others. God uses you to bless others. Imagine the conversation we could have as a church if every person here practiced regular, faithful giving. you imagine that? And you imagine sitting around the table and saying, look at how much our church is giving. How many more missionaries can we support? I know we already support directly four church plants. Maybe we could support eight. Maybe we could support 20. How many more ministries could we start? What are ways we're not reaching our community that we could start reaching our community? How can we do that more and more? How can we fund everything we're doing and more when all of us started giving regularly? Can you imagine that conversation? Wouldn't that be fun and awesome to have and dream? Yeah. You know the conversations I don't want to have? Do we have to cut missions this year? Do we have to cut church plants this year? What ministries can we no longer fund? Who can we no longer help? What do we have to cut back on in our outreach? What do we have to cut back on in our discipleships? What do we have to cut back on in life groups? You want to really know the very, very uncomfortable conversation we would have to have? Can we pay the AC bill this month in June? You don't want to have that one, do you? That wouldn't be fun. We'll keep the lights on. Can we keep the air pumping? See, understand that giving as a believer in Jesus Christ, when it comes to regular tithing, that is not optional in the Christian life. God doesn't set it up as optional. He doesn't say do it when you feel like it. Do it when the bank account's nice. He says do it. And I know for some of you, when we start talking about giving, you think, all right, well, how much should I give? What's all that about? 
Look, let me just go over it real quickly. In the Old Testament, there's a thing called the tithe. That's 10%. It should be 10% of your gross income. Right? Now, think about that. 10% is the, is the floor when it comes to giving. Right? That's what you should shoot for. I know some of you in your situations, you're like, 10%, buddy, I, I don't have two quarters to rub together right now. All right? Shoot for one, two. Build to 10%, but 10% should always be the floor when it comes to your giving. Now, when you go to the New Testament, we don't see percentages there. We see what we would call proportional giving. And so you can say, all right, if you have more, you should give more. God's blessed you with more, give more. Go be a blessing to somebody else. So I like to think of it this way, and this is the way I work it out with me, is 10% is never the stopping point. The tithe was never meant to be stop at 10 10 is the floor, and now work your way up. Now, it needs to also be this way when we discuss that. 10%, it should come to your local church where you go. That should be first because this is where we as a hub, we want to do ministry. Like we said earlier, we want to love people. We want to lead all people new life with Christ. All right, so you might want to support other church plants, other missionaries, other nonprofits. Great, wonderful. We do that in our home. But all the tithe comes here first, and then whatever we do as a family, that's on top of the tithe. That's not mixed in to all add up to 10 or 12, whatever it is. So think about that. How are you giving right now to bless someone else? Because here's what you're going to learn, and I guarantee you will learn this when you start giving. God will provide for you. He always does. He blesses obedience he blesses faithfulness. Let me, I'll tell you a personal story on this. And, and, and Sandra and I learned this very, very early in our marriage. When we got married, we made a commitment. We were always going to tithe. We weren't going to miss it. We were going to do it. It would always be at least 10% would be our tithe. When we got married over 16 years ago, we were both teaching at a Christian school full-time. We were both in seminary full-time. You want to know what our salary was? A combined household salary of a whopping $35,000. Okay? Both full-time teachers, both full-time students, together we were making thirty-five grand. Man, that Mercedes we bought that first year, woo! Right? I mean, we had bills, we had a house payment, we had school payments, we had school books, I mean, you know, all that. But we said, you know what? We're not going to cut tithe. We're always going to give. This is what God calls his people to do. And, and, and just by his grace, we've always done that. There was a moment very early on where one of our cars broke down. It was over $1,000 to fix. And I can remember sitting there on the couch with her in our double-wide mobile home we were living in at the time. And looking at her and saying, hey, it's over $1,000 to fix your car. We don't have that. We were nowhere close to that. You remember the days when you could float a check? Some of you are going to remember this. You remember how you could float a check? You want to know how many tithe checks I floated in my life? Quite a bit. Put it in on Sunday morning. First call on Monday was to the church treasurer. Hey, you're going to want to hang on to that till at least Wednesday. Trust me. I get paid on Tuesday. Just hang on to it. Right? Man, those were the days of floating a check, wasn't it? 
have to scheme out when the, it would clear and the bank deposit would happen. That was us. We were, we were, you know, we would show up to the grocery store sometimes, 70 bucks in the accounts, like, how are we going to eat this week? <laughs> I looked at her and said, we, we don't have this money. And he said, what do you want to do? So well, I don't want to call my dad. I don't want to call your dad. I, let's, I, I just want to pray and, and God's going to provide and, and, and we'll figure it out. But I don't, you know, want to always run to the parents and God will, God will provide. Almost two days later, there a check came in the mail from my dad. It was almost to the penny of what it would take for the car to get fixed. Neither one of us ever told him, hey, we need that money. I called dad and I said, dad, you just sent me this check. What's up? <laughs> he said, I just felt like you needed a little extra more this month. I said, well, let me tell you how I needed that. Here's how much the car was going to cost to get fixed. And what you wrote literally is almost to the penny. Listen, how many of you, and you slip your hand up right here. Let's have a little audience participation. How many of you could have a story like that and say, hey, God always provides, right? I mean, look at that. Look at those hands. God provides for his people. Stay faithful to him. In the plan B life, God will provide. And he'll use you to provide for someone else in your giving. But let me give you the third truth this morning. Is third truth in the plan B life is celebrate what God's done. Celebrate what God's done for you. You know, in verse 19, Ruth comes in. And I love this interaction with her and Naomi. Uh, verse 19 says, And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she had told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative to ours, one of our redeemers. If you remember the last time Naomi spoke in the text was in chapter 1 when she came home and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me bitter. Right? I, I'm, I'm upset with this right now. This is the first time in the story she praises God. She's celebrating God in this plan B life. God has provided for us. And it's Boaz. And there Naomi remembers, oh, wait a minute, Boaz, I had kind of forgotten about him. See, Boaz, Ruth, he's one of our redeemers. And, and maybe your English translation has kinsman redeemer in there. The, the Hebrew word for redeemers there is goel, which means kinsman redeemer. And the importance of a kinsman redeemer is huge within this culture. See, that was a relative who would come to the rescue. Usually it would be a prominent male and one of the members of the extended family. And so the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, he would have certain roles. First role would be this. He could avenge the blood of a murdered relative. Maybe one of the family members, the extended family members in an economic hard time had to sell off property and land. The kinsman redeemer could buy that back for them. He could buy back the land. If he was single, he'd be eligible to marry and revive the family lineage when someone died without an heir. But then finally, the kinsman redeemer could do this. He could buy someone out of slavery. A family member who had been sold into slavery, the kinsman redeemer could come and purchase his salvation. Purchase his redemption. 
And I love this part that's introduced to us in Ruth when it comes to Boaz being the kinsman redeemer. Because see, the way God set this up is all kinsman redeemer all throughout history pointed to the one true kinsman redeemer, his name, Jesus Christ. See, Boaz is just a picture of Jesus in this story. It's Jesus who buys us out of spiritual slavery. It's Jesus who pays the price for our redemption. It's Jesus, when you are a slave to sin, says, I can set you free. It's Jesus who took our sin upon himself on the cross to pay our ransom. I love what Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. It is Christ who redeems us. Christ who's that close Goel kinsman redeemer. And so when you think about how God it provides for you, how there's no accidents in the plan B life with God, what should your response be this morning? How should you respond? Let me give you quickly four ways that your, your, your response should be this morning. Number one, trust in God. In your plan B life right now, I know the situation may be hard, but trust Him. Trust in Him. He's got the plan. See, what is your plan B is really his plan A for your life. Trust in God. He will provide for you. And what does Matthew 6, 11 says in that Lord's Prayer? God, give us what? Our daily bread. What do we see in Psalm 23? He is a good shepherd that leads us to green pastures and makes us lie down and be still. God will provide for you. Trust him. Secondly, do this, celebrate God's grace and provision in your life. In that plan B life, celebrate those moments where God provides. Those moments that I just shared with you earlier that I can still look back on and say, man, God showed up, God provided. Celebrate those moments of God's provision in the plan B life. You know, I was thinking about it this way earlier. It should not surprise any one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ when a non-follower of Jesus Christ does not celebrate God's goodness. Shouldn't surprise us. Shouldn't surprise us when a non-Christian doesn't celebrate God's grace, doesn't celebrate God's goodness in their lives. What should surprise us is we as Christians when we don't. That should shock us. As people who have experienced God's grace and we experienced His provision, we ought to be the first ones to shout about it and show about it and celebrate it. Celebrate that amazing grace. Third, let me encourage you this morning to be a blessing. To be a blessing. If you're not a regular giver this morning, start. Just start where you are. Start giving regularly. Start saying, okay, first of the month maybe. It's going to God first. It, it never should be about the leftovers. It's never about what's left at the end of the month. God, you get it first. I'm going to start that because I can be a blessing to others. You know, you've already seen some of the parts of the church that are getting ready for vacation Bible school. Man, we can do that this year because you give. We're going to celebrate our children of the Savior completion this morning. We were able to do that because you give. Be a blessing to someone else. Be a giver. But finally this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, put your trust in Him for your salvation. The Bible says, believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, Christ rose from the grave, and if you will trust in Him for that salvation, for that work of what He can do, 
The Bible said you will be saved. You will find a kinsman redeemer in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org slash give.